Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. James and Phil here to discuss Sunderland's win against Birmingham City at the Stadium of Light. But we're also going to give you our season review so far. We'll come on to that. We're heading into an international break though, Phil. And I haven't actually asked you this yet, but um, is the football manager career developing now the 2024 game's out? How's that going? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah, so I'm at Accrington Stanley. Um we won the League Two title in our first year, Excellent. won the Pizza Cup in our second year, and we've just won League One in our third year. So our march to the Premier League as well, and truly underway. I'm loving it, to be fair. It's a great <laughs> addition this year. Can you manage Sunderland, or is it too close to home for you? No, no, because um, it feels a bit too much like work. Um, <laughs> and also, like I feel bad if I like drop a solo player or something. Mm, um, I know. So, yeah, no, I can't do it. I get no joy from managing Sunderland, unfortunately. See, I, I can't manage anybody else until I have completed Sunderland and restored them to their former glories in the English First Division and have had them win a Champions League. I, I can't do anything else until I've done that, and I'm miles off that at the moment. It is. It is. The good thing about Sunderland is um, it is fun at the moment, isn't it? And you've got all the young players and stuff. Yes. Like It's a proper, it's a good football. I, even for the neutrals, I imagine Sunderland would be a good save. But yeah, that's probably enough football manager chat. There'll be a lot of people absolutely, yeah. Rolling absolutely their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> right, Birmingham City, uh, Sunderland went 1-0 up. Then there was an equaliser and then Sunderland ended up winning 3-1. Um, bit of a shaky sort of 20 minutes in, in the first half, but Sunderland rallied. There was lots of um, disruption before the match as well with with Sergan pulling out with an injury. Nectar Triantis and Jensen sealed, both coming in for uh, their first starts in the Championship. Less than ideal situation, but Sunderland coped well, um, I thought, by the end of the game. And an important three points on the board, Phil. Yeah, it was a really good win when you put it into context, like you say. I think if you'd said, because of 9 and Ballard's suspension, I think if you'd said to Sunderland, any Sunderland fan before the game, it might not be convincing, but you'll get the three points. I think you would have snapped the hand off for it because... Yeah. Um, you know, to lose your two centre-halves is, is a big thing. And then to lose, because we all thought Serkin was going to come in and that gave us some comfort because we know how good a player he is. So then to lose Serkin a couple of minutes before kickoff, you know, you would have said before the game, just get the job done. Um, so it was a big win for Sunderland that they did that. Really good game and a really interesting game because it was just completely unlike what we used to seeing at the stadium. Like, and that, you know, Wayne Rooney's obviously been appointed and being told that he has to implement this no fear front foot approach, that's the reason why they sacked you know John Eustace, even though the results were pretty good. Um, but of course, what we've seen is that's not the way to play against the Sunderland side because no. if you leave them space and it becomes a basketball game, more often than not, Sunderland will come out on top. And even though Birmingham threatened throughout and could have scored more goals, you always felt that no matter how many goals ended up going in, Sunderland were always going to come up about on the right side, you know. How many teams leave Jack Clark that much space at the stadium? Like very few. And it even was, though it was painful. It was insane. It was insane the amount of space he had at times. Yeah, it was, it, it was borderline crazy. And I sort of respected it and enjoyed it. And <laughs> thought Rooney spoke well. You know, he, he's a very good talker and a very interesting fella. Um, after the game, and, and I think he'll get some good results there because I liked a lot of what they saw. But unfortunately for us, who go and watch Sunderland supporters and journalists and what have you, there's a reason why teams come and take time out of the game, defend, you know, defend the deny space for the wingers, because unfortunately it's the best way to play against Sunderland. Um, and so I wish every game at the stadium was like that, um, but it ain't going to be the case because we saw, ultimately I think we saw, well, 
why more teams don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't want to sound like I'm taking away from Sunderland because especially with the disruption in defence, um, it was a really important win and a really good win because Birmingham have got good players and, and they will take points off teams this season. So, yeah, always nice to win before the international break. And I think especially oh, yeah. go back into the playoffs because if you think that this block of fixtures started with the Stoke defeat off the back of the Middlesbrough defeat, um, it felt like a bit of momentum had lost. So I think a lot of credit to Mowbray and the players. They've really steadied the ship um, and ultimately they're, you know, they're, they're where they need to be right now. We'll quickly whiz through a few talking points from the game. What did you make of Sunderland's centre-back pairing of, of Silt and Trent? It's obviously, you know, Trent is a late addition to the side. Silt was expecting to play with Sirk and they'll have trained for that scenario all week. Um I thought, to be honest, that they grew into the game in the second half. It was by no means a, a perfect performance from either of them. You could tell that both were sort of learning on the job. Um, but it was a bizarre game in a sense that I felt like Sunderland's Sullen, midfield of, of Neil and Equa gave the ball away fairly often and that caused a little bit of, of pressure on Sunderland's centre-back sometimes, which ultimately they did deal okay with in the end. Um, but it, it sort of felt like that that sort of centre-back to midfield combination was a little bit disjointed, as you'd expect, maybe. Yeah. Didn't really have somebody bringing the ball out like a Luke 9 and that caused a, a few issues in that little gap between. Yeah, definitely. I think it was disjointed at times, and you could tell that that natural link-up that's developed between 9 and Neil, 9 and Equa and Ballard was disjointed, and I think Partially, that may have been why Birmingham decided to take the approach that they did as well. I think they would have played like that anyway, but maybe Rooney sensing that possible disruption was you know, doubly aggressive and saying that there might be opportunities here. I actually thought Seal and Trent, was both, you saw from both of them, there's quality there, especially in possession. Mm-hmm. Seal played a couple of gorgeous big switches and immediately you can go, okay, this guy can handle the ball. This guy's going to mm-hmm. fit in this team. Where he probably struggled was that sometimes he thought he had a second more than he actually had. I think yeah. that you know, I think that's fair to say, and that's just a process, isn't it? Um, you know, ideally, you would never ever want to put them both in the team together for their debuts for that exact reason that they're both yeah. going through that learning process. Um, and you know, and Mowbray was speaking to us afterwards, wasn't he, and saying that Seal, you know, he he is obviously centre half, but when Ballard and nine are both fit and available, you know, there's a chance Seal will play a little bit and hold them in midfield, maybe a right back and roll into midfield as Hume does. And I think you can definitely see that, can't you? You can definitely see that he's got a lot of calm on the ball. He's willing to be brave. Um, listen, I don't think there's any doubt it's going to be all nine and Ballard for the Plymouth away, isn't it, on the 25th of November. They're clearly, at this point in their careers, further ahead. Um, but that was a big game for both of them because I think next time there's an injury or a suspension, we won't be talking about playing players sort of half out of position. Yeah, I think Mowbray knows he can trust those guys now and, that, and that's really good for them. Other end of the pitch, Rusin looked really impressive, worked really hard, gets the assist for the first goal and hits the outside of the post as well. Just, It's great to see a striker sort of claim in that space, but the same volition, it's it's so sort of infuriating is the wrong word, but frustrating because we just want a striker to, to sort of take take hold at the Stadium of Light and, and catch fire. And he has to a degree, but we just want that goal, don't we? Yeah, and I, and I thought... Meander and Bear still both looked excellent when they came on as well. They did. And Burstow unlucky about the score. Yeah, it was interesting seeing Burstow was a lot more involved attacking-wise, playing out wide. Mm. And I wonder if that's something that Mowbray will sort of go away and take forward because maybe that's when he's going to be his most destructive at this stage in his career when he's not fighting two centre-arts, there's back to go. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Mowbray will kind of think about that in terms of, all right, maybe I'll let somebody else do that part of the job and see if we get a bit more out of Burstow in terms of in front of goal. Um, the end looked really exciting, didn't he? Didn't now, you don't want to get carried away from f- five, ten minutes, but my word, he didn't have to strike that ball powerfully. You know, hit Ruddy in the face. I don't, I don't think Ruddy knew anything about it. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of take, but I suppose the other side of it is it reinforces as well what we said for a while, which is that these strikers all benefit from open games and there's a lot of space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw that again. And it was such a different task to what we saw at Swansea when we were all a bit frustrated when it's all about finding that half yard in the box. Um, so I do think it was a game that suited some of the strikers. Um, but hopefully, you know, there were definitely good signs. Um, and I think, yeah, Rusin has definitely sort of secured his place for after the international break for a little while longer, hasn't he? I think he did more than enough in the game. Obviously, got the assist, didn't he, for Job's goal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there was more than enough to warrant persisting with him for a little while longer after the international break. I, I think he did really well and he deserves at least another start or two. Absolutely. Pleasing signs from Rusin. Obviously, my end are coming on for a pretty impressive cameo as well. Uh, that was a little mini review of the Birmingham City match. But now we're going to look at a sort of season review so far. Um, we're about a quarter into the season now. Second international break. So we're going to run through the following categories. We're going to go through our highlight of the season, then our biggest frustration, our favourite goal, our player of the season so far, our young player of the season so far, a player who we want to see more of, and our overall mark for the season so far out of 10. Phil, we will start with you, which is the highlight of Sunderland's season so far. Yeah, I think this is a pretty simple one. It's it's, it's Southampton at home, isn't it? Um, I think not just to beat a, a team of that stature, to, to beat them so comfortably, but I think the manner of so many different aspects of the performance, and if I'm thinking specifically, you know, it had already been a pretty much perfect afternoon. And then with a minute or two left on the on the clock, you know, Bennett does sort of three pirouettes, sticks his absolutely inch-perfect cross onto Chris Riggs' head, and, this, you know, the 16-year-old scores his first ever um, championship goal. That was that. That was just one of those where you sort of go, "This is a ridiculous day. This is a real sort of pinch yourself moment." Um, and I think it was massive for the team as well in terms of obviously the, the the season started with two okay performances but two defeats off yeah. the back of what we talked about being a little bit of an unsettling summer with some of the transfer stuff, with not an amazing preseason. And I think someone did well after those first two defeats to steady the ship. And I think Southampton was the game where it then felt like it was going into another gear and you started to think, you actually, you know what? Yeah, we have got a playoff contender here. We have got a side here. It is developing its identity without Stewart, without Ahmad. Um, there's there's plenty here. And that was a really great afternoon. That Southampton um, game as well, Phil, was the first after the transfer window had shut and there'd been sort of questions on social media from various outlets about Jack Clark's um, attitude and also there'd been the questions over Roberts, Southampton had bid for him, Stuart had left for Southampton. So in the context of that as well, to turn in that performance, it was a real sort of marker, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I mean about it being, you know, the moment at which I think we, it was the moment at which we moved on from the summer yeah, and some yeah. of the difficulties from it. And, and you, they're so right to bring up those, that, that Clark example, he scored in him, but the first minute, didn't he? Yeah. Um, that little much. header, that yeah. big celebration, which whether or not, it is actually true. Felt really pointed. Felt really, mm. you know, it's okay. I'm happy here. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I like playing for this team. 
Um, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was just happy you scored a goal. But I think we all felt that, right? We all felt that it was mm. um, kind of the team moving forward. And yeah, it's not all been plain sailing since then by any stretch of the imagination. And of course, one aspect of it as well is someone clearly caught Southampton at a good moment, you know? Mm. Um, they, they look a lot stronger now. Their results have improved. Their defensive records improved considerably. Um, and so that's obviously part of it. But yeah, I think that was the day in which we left some of that summer concern behind us and it felt like we'd moved into a little bit of a a bit of a new era. So yeah, that, that's definitely the one that sticks out for me. See, I knew you were going to go for the low-hanging fruit, so I've had to get creative here. Um, and it's I'm sort of rewriting the, the rule book on what the highlight is really, but I thought I'd go a bit left field, throw you a bit of a curveball. But the Leicester City performance off the back of, of two defeats to go there, yeah. top of the league, I felt watching that game at that moment that, right, okay, I believe in this team still and I believe in Tony Mulberry's coaching ability still as well because they were superb, arguably should have got something out of the game, arguably could have got something out of the game had the, the referee awarded a penalty. Um, we seem to be getting sort of iffy refereeing decisions every week at that point and still are to a degree. But yeah, similar actually in a way to Middlesbrough last season where things didn't go Sunderland's way at all, but they just kept on plugging away and kept on working and kept on trying to play. And it's that attitude when things aren't going so well for Sunderland that that really shines through, I think. Whereas in previous seasons, in League One and the Premier League, we've seen Sunderland fold like a deck of cards at the first sort of sight of any obscurity. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a really good shout game. And I think I said this at the time, the game that reminded me a lot of was Fulham away in the FA Cup earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. Where Sunderland, I think it was a 1-1 draw in the end, wasn't it? Someone might correct me if I'm wrong. And yeah, in that game, Sunderland could have lost. Patterson made some fantastic saves. But generally speaking, Sunderland went toe-to-toe and more than held their own. And not doing it by putting 10 men behind the ball and defending for their lives and open for the best by being really aggressive. And and the players and the staff spoke about that Fulham game a lot in the final months of the season about how it gave them that belief that they could go anywhere, impose their style and get a result. And I think I said this at the time, you know, the wins at West Brom away, for example, last year, I think a lot of that was rooted in that Fulham game. And I say that because hopefully the Leicester game has a similar impact this season because you're absolutely right. Leicester could have got another couple of goals, but someone absolutely could have got something out of that game. And I think as a team and individually, they could all come away and say, you know what, if people are talking about those players as Premier League players and players with big futures, then you know we should be in that bracket as well. So, yeah, it's a really good shout. I enjoyed that game so much, the whole occasion. Leicester's a great stadium to go to, real Premier League feel, and there was a real Premier League feel about the game. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm fully behind you on that shout. So moving on, biggest frustration. <laughs> I've got a few contenders for this. Not winning against ten man Swansea still feels a little yeah. bit raw because I feel like Sunderland could have could have got something from that game. The strike awards have been frustrating, but that seems to be sort of ironing itself out now. I mean, refereeing decisions this season feel really feel like they've they've gone against Sunderland. But the Middlesbrough game stands out as a big frustration, losing that four 0 But Dan Neil being sent off for dissent. And uh, to keep things on current affairs, Bakuna not getting a yellow card for Birmingham City against um, Sunderland and, and Patrick Roberts at the weekend just was completely yeah, baffling. I think so. There's a lot to I go out there. Me, so. Yeah, I, I think I agree with the referee. And I, I don't really like talking about refereeing, but there is a massive inconsistency this year. There is. And I'm not talking about like big decisions. Big decisions can go against you. Off and I don't it's, think, to be fair, referees is not something we generally talk about on this podcast, but they have cropped no. up this year. I think it's, there's an inconsistency about how things are being applied that's really frustrating. Mm. Um, you know, and, and it's not a sudden thing either. So you mentioned Bakuna. Bakuna makes three fouls. 
that are exactly, to me, the same level of severity and cynicism as Charlie Patino's two the week before. Charlie yeah. Patino gets two yellow cards and sent off. Yeah, Akuna yeah, yeah. makes three and doesn't even get a yellow card. And it's just, mm. and then also the descent. Some weeks we see very, very minor descent getting immediate yellow cards. Other weeks we see outrageous descents just go totally unpunished. Sometimes you get a yellow card for kicking the ball away. Sometimes players don't get a yellow card, even though they clearly kick the ball away to stop free kick being The time-wasting stuff, sometimes that's enforced, it's sometimes just, it's not. It's total inconsistency. That's what the frustration has been this year. I'm, I'm not going into competence or incompetence because referees are human. It's a fast-paced game. Big decisions that sometimes go your way and they sometimes won't go your way. It's not about that. It's about the fact that we seem to have got completely confused on certain elements. And you just, that is the most frustrating part for me. Um, I'm going to chuck in another couple of frustrations. Cardiff at home, because that felt mm. like a terrible flashback to last season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, fair play. Cardiff are a good side. They're doing really well this year. But they weren't very good on that day. So no. they're loads better than them. But couldn't break them down. Picked off by a set piece. That felt like so many games last year. Thankfully, and the reason I don't want to dwell on it too much is because Sunderland's home form has improved this year. There have been some frustrations, but generally speaking, Sunderland have been much better, so we shouldn't dwell on that too much. The other one I'm going to chuck in is biggest frustration for me. It's just Dennis Erkin's rotten luck. Whether it's hamstring injuries, yeah, yeah. whether it's concussion because he puts his head on his line for the team, it just feels like you can't get 10, 15 can't games in a row. Um, and if there's one thing I would love to see kind of moving forward, because he is a fantastic player. And even in the flashes we've had him this season, you see what he brings to the side, left-footed, aggressive. He's actually really good in the air, so teams can't target him. Gives a lot of clock on the overlap. Um, mm. Yeah, it's been really frustrating for me. I'd put Elise in that category as well, but obviously we knew coming into the season that Elise had a fairly serious injury and that was going to take time to develop. But yeah, that's the position of the pitch, which I think ordinarily is a position of real strength for Sunderland. Um, and yeah, Serkin's rotten luck has been, a, has been a big frustration for me this season. It has indeed. Good shots, Phil. The next category is favourite goal. I will let you bat first on this. Go on, I'll let you go first this time in case, I, in case I'm Nick. Well, I've got a few. So, obviously, Rig, Rig's first goal against Crew Alexander in the Cup was good, becoming Sunderland's youngest ever goal scorer. His goal against Southampton was brilliant. Obviously, 16-year-old scoring in the Championship. Huggins against Watford was a, yeah, was a superb goal. Yeah. The, the, the story of that. And from a personal perspective, just because it's a complete vindication for me, Eck was two goals against Southampton as well with decent strikes. And, you know, he did have a poor game against Birmingham City, to be fair, by his standards um, in terms of losing the ball. I, I do think he did other aspects of the game quite well against Birmingham City, but he did let himself down slightly. But, you know, that aside, that Southampton game felt like a, a sort of what a player we've got on our hands here. But the, the Huggins story, which I'm sure you'll come to, Phil, you mentioned on our post-match video after Birmingham City. It is one of the stories of the season, how well he's done. Yeah, and I think the, it's something we've talked about. The, the amazing thing with Huggins is, is not just that he's playing regularly, um, but it's he's actually recaptured mm. you know, the dynamism of his game because you never know after the amount of time he's out, out injured whether that's going to come back. And at the start of the season, we were praising him, and rightly so, because he was playing regularly, he was contributing. Um, but you did feel like he was getting through the games, as as you would expect. Whereas now he's in the team on merit. Um, mm. It's not because other players are injured. Um, he's in the team because he is fantastic going forward. 
Um, he gets up and down the pitch. He supports the taxi and recover quickly and defend well. Um, and that Watford goal embodied that really. Um, you know, I'm getting it out of the way now. We're both going to pick Jack Clark as player of the season so far because he is <laughs> obviously the player of the season so far. But you know, I'm pleased with giving Huggins you know some love because he is absolutely. You know, if it wasn't for Clark's ridiculous form, um, you know, we'd have Huggins right in the conversation as well. And yeah, if we should have put story of the season category on, we haven't. Um, but it would either be, I think, Riggs' goal or Niall Huggins' you know, resurgence because um, it's been a real treat. My favourite goal, actually. For this one, I just went purely on the one that got the biggest reaction out of me in the press box. And that was actually Abdullah Bar away at QPR. Um, oh, nice, nice. So... Because it was that you, one of you those reacted, where, You reacted in the press box, really. You shouldn't admit to stuff like that. It would be, do you know what it was? Because I think one of the things about this team is that the, the pace and the ingenuity with the play, it can catch your breath sometimes. Yeah. And this is just such a beautiful goal because it's the reverse pass from Pritchard, which nobody sees coming. And then it's Aushish, who we'd not seen anything of up until this point, with his gorgeous cross into the box. And then what a hit from Bart on his weaker foot. Um, it was just one of those goals that just you, you, you can't help but just be a little bit breathless. And, you know, and, and Bar's had a really good season so far. I think we were all a bit unsure when we saw in pre-season mm. he was going to be playing on the wing. Um, we weren't sure about that decision, but I think Mulberry's coaching staff have been totally vindicated on that because, mm. you know, I know he's not in the team right now, um, but he's emerged as a real viable alternative to Patrick Roberts. And in the absence of Ahmad, that was something we were concerned about this year. Obviously, I'm not saying he's on Ahmad's level. I'm not, you know, um, but his output's been pretty good. And that goal, I just felt that was just such a classic Mowbray something goal. It was just quality, speed, um, and you know, and, and thumping volleys are great. They're objectively great goals. Everybody loves them. Um, mm-hmm. and that was that was just a great one because it was a throw in where there seemed to be no threat, and then it's in the roof of the net before you know it, right in front of the away fans, which is always the perfect optics, <laughs> you know, and especially because it's QPR, it's one of those grounds where the away fans are right on top of the goal as well. So yeah, great scenes. Really, really great scenes. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's probably my my favourite goal in of itself. No, absolutely. And just quickly go to go back to Huggins and his story arc at Sunderland. Um, he signed for Sunderland in 2021. He played twice in that League One season. Twice. Only twice. And then last season, he played once in the Championship. He's already played 12 times this season in the Championship, obviously with his injury issues. So for him to be doing as well as he, he is after the injury issues and the lack of football, as we mentioned earlier, is uh, is mightily impressive. Um, yeah, player of the season so far, pretty easy. For me, I said Jack Clark, but you could give shout-outs to Patterson, probably Dan Neal, and Trey Hume as well, I think, would run Clark closest for me. I think Trey Hume, over the course of this season, has been sublime. Yeah, there's only Ballard, I think, that I would add to that conversation yeah. as well, to the ones you've said. I think Ballard and Trey Hume pretty similar. Mm-hmm. They've sort of really... From very good years last year, they've become the established players that you wanted them to be, and they've found a real level of consistency. Um, but it has to be Clark, right? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's been a joke. It's been an absolute joke what he's done this season. You know, but I know people, you know, some people from the outside might say, well, he scored four penalties. Well, yeah, but he won three of them. You've got to score them. Yeah, you've got to score them. And B, if you're the one who's getting fouled because they can't defend you against <laughs> you in the box, then, you know, that's kind of on you as well, you know? Um, he's just such a... I don't think he's barely had a bad game. Um, you know, and his and, he's, and he's, already, he's already matched his goal tally from, from last season, this season. He's got nine. 
which is scandalous, really. Yeah, and, and the fact that he's developed his game so much, if you think when he arrived, he used to get a lot of criticism for being predictable because he was always cutting inside on his right foot. Um, and, you know, that developed pretty quickly. If you think to that famous goal, as I do very often, where he tees up Patrick Roberts, you know, when he takes a defender by surprise by shimmying down the left. You know, we saw him do that again for Aushisha's goal on Saturday. Yeah. We're kind of out. We probably shouldn't dwell too long about it because we're kind of out of things to say about Jack Clark, aren't we? Other than he's brilliant and it's been an absolute joy to watch him just explode. I think it's the right word this season. And, and, and leave him alone in January, basically. Yeah, yeah. If that's, anyone's that's, listening, he's not that good. That's all that's left to say, really, on Jack Clark. Yeah, definitely my player of the season. Uh, young player of the season so far. I imagine we've both got the same on this, but I'll let you go first again, Phil. Yeah, well, this is a really hard one to do, isn't it? Because it's like, what do you class as a young player? Because some men during like... Well, I was thinking this actually. Young is, and, does Jack yeah. Clark qualify? Because Luke O'Neill won young player of the season at 24 a couple of years ago, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, 25, because, whatever it was. You know, technically, Patterson and Neil would, at any other club, be in this conversation. But right, I think we both said Joe, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. we were all... We all understood the job signing and that, yeah, he's a really talented young player. That's what some of them do. But we were looking at it, kind of thinking, well, it doesn't look like it really serves the needs of the team. Mm. Um, well, I mean, you know, Joe's performances have spoken for themselves. If you need someone to go up front and try and win headers and stretch the game, he does that. When he's been asked to operate a little bit deeper and show a lot more discipline, he does that. What a fantastic signing he's been. I think there's a few things that stand out with Joe. One, which is just I've kind of referred to, his tactical awareness for an 18-year-old is incredible. And um, to be able to play a number of different positions in one game tells you that you can take on a huge amount of tactical information and understand it. His strength for an 18-year-old is it's insane. insane. It is absolutely insane. What is the thing we always he, say? He about looks, like man, is, he? He looks like a full blown man, doesn't he? He looks like a full grown man. Unbelievable. You know, what we always say, often say about 18 year old sentiment, oh, technically he's lovely, but he's got a lot of work to do. Job goes into challenges with three, four players and comes out still holding the ball. Um, it's absolutely insane. And that's not to suggest he hasn't got technical ability because he clearly has a lot of it. Um, but to be physically where he's at now at 18, you are really thinking, where on earth is he going to be in four years' time? It is an unbelievable prospect. And I think that. You know, Job is in the team every week and no one backs an eyelid. Um, well, I, I was going to make that, this point that, that he's become... A, story. I was going to make this point that he's become an 18-year-old first-team regular in the middle for Tony Mowbray and it's just sort of accepted now, isn't it, that, that, yeah. he's, that he's a starter. It's almost like he's a senior player. Nobody talks about Job's naivety, you know, yeah. after probably after his debut, that talk died down. And let's not forget as well that, that with those that maybe thought like that this was... A slight PR signing with the Bellingham name. Um, is he is going to be as good as his brother? You know, there's not many footballers that are as good as, good as Jude Bellingham, so it's perhaps um, crass to sort of compare the two. But there was talk that, you know, as you say, did it service the needs of the team? Do we really need Joe Bellingham? Is it just a bit of a sort of fantasy football manager signing? Mm. In, pretty much instantly he's put all that to bed. And the exciting thing is, as you mentioned, he's still got some growing and some learning to do and he already looks this good. Um, it's it's a, a very exciting prospect. I guess the question, Phil, um, which I think we've we've spoken about in this podcast and has been written about on the Echo website, is that will he need a break at some point and how yeah. does someone cope with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the 
the under 18s England call up last week and you know we should give a shout out was it under 19 sorry um no it is under 18s isn't it is it under 18s under 19s sorry listener I uh, should have written it down Bellingham's anyway under 19s, I think, isn't he? right so I wanted to give a shout out to Matty Young who's got his first call up to that England under 19s a 16 year old goalkeeper who's going away with Job um which is an incredible achievement it tells you how talented Young is and mm. um, but with Job yeah they're playing three games over this international break and you're just thinking, my God, like, is that is that what he needs? Three more games of football? Now, I'm sure he'll be managed closely. But I think because we all remember, you know, it was a season that ended very, very happily at Wembley. But we saw Dan Neal, Dennis Serkin, Callum Doyle especially. You know, these players did burn out. And we are seeing someone bring Job off pretty much every game after an hour, 65, 70 minutes. And I think at some point he's definitely going to need to come out of the team and have a rest. Um, because, yeah, we don't want to get to... If you look at the schedule for December, it is it, it is insane. Someone plays so much football, so much travelling. Um, and unfortunately, at some point, Job is going to have to sit out one or two of these games. Um, but yeah, for the long term, he has got a serious future. He has indeed, and looks like a bit of a bargain, really, for what Sunderland actually paid for him. Player we would like to see more of. I have got four players fill for this category the first is Mayenda just based off that little cameo we saw against Birmingham City I thought he was hugely impressive and I'm, I'm keen to see more um Chris Rigg obviously we've seen a fair bit of but I'm really keen to see him start I'm really looking forward to seeing him start obviously that has to be managed he's only 16 years old I'm not expecting you know five or six starts to come anytime soon but when that does happen I am sort of keen to see what he does on the pitch with with more minutes and more responsibility. Um, Rusin as well, I'm enjoying what he is doing and I'm looking forward to to see if he can sort of get on the score sheet and how he develops. In the other, scored against Birmingham City, looks a real player, a real handful. I said on social media afterwards that he was absolutely chomping at the bit to get on and he absolutely loved it as well, was Aushish. I thought, yeah, you know, in terms of a substitute performance, he really, really took the game by the scruff of the neck. Yeah, Aushish is mine. Aushish is the one for me, I think. You know, that QPR game I've already referenced, Bar's goal straight away. You know, the guy's never played with any of these players mm. and he's just bouncing off them. He's playing little one-twos with Pritchard. Pritchard's been drawn to him on the pitch because he knows he can play these little combinations <laughs> with him. Straight away, you think, OK, this is a really good footballer. And he's an interesting one as well is because I think for obvious reasons, because... Quite often, Sunderland do sign a lot of players at the end of the window. And we sort of put them all in this one category of really, really, really young, untested players. Yeah, yeah, Actually, Aushish yeah. has got a huge amount of um, League One experience. Um, you know, he's played a lot of football. And clearly, he wasn't in, fit in France. In France, that is not um, not, not in England. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, I wouldn't hold that against him if it was League One. I spent a lot of time there. You know, I've got a lot of respect for it. But... Um, no, I think straight away you could just see this was a player of serious calibre. You know, and um, Mowbray has said that he was going to start at Leicester. Unfortunately, he picked up a little injury, um, which meant he didn't start that game. But that tells you that he feels he's a really high-level technical player. And it's a position where there's a lot of competition. You know, when you put Dak Pritchard mm. and also Rig coming off the bench as well. Um, when you consider Job as well, as we've just talked about. But... I'm really excited to see more about she. She's just one of those players you want to watch. Um, I think someone to find a really good player there, and it's, it's going to be exciting to see how it goes. 
Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to seeing a bit more of him. Overall mark out of 10 for the season, Phil, I've put a, a pretty optimistic eight. I've, I've enjoyed it so far. There was a little bit of a dip, obviously. I think Sonnen lost three on the spin, um, which was unfortunate. But again, I'm I'm really enjoying the the development of this team. As you mentioned, players like Neil and Ballard and Hume, who are that year older, who've come to the fore. Huggins obviously breaking out. You know, the Job story's been, been good to watch. Jack Clark's been electric. Uh, I'm hoping that Patrick Roberts can can sort of catch fire as well soon because I think in terms of his his output in in terms of goal contributions, he's been a bit below par, but he's definitely the same player. I'm looking forward to, to seeing what he can do. So I think, yeah, it remains to be seen where Sunderland will finish, obviously, but I do feel like this group under Tony Mowbray and this club in general actually are on the right track. Yeah, I, I went for seven and a half and I I actually started with a seven and then that felt really harsh and then an eight felt just maybe a little bit too um, too positive because I think, you know, we discussed it. You think back to the Stoke away, which was really disappointing, such a flat performance, Swansea, Swansea Cardiff yeah. at home. It, they, they have, you do feel like something they've missed some opportunities, but then at the same time, you have to step back. And especially when you consider that that uncertainty we had on sort of the very eve of the season and actually look at it and go, well, we've lost the two key players from last year. I'm Adam Ross Stewart. And I know people say Stewart only played 13 games or whatever. He scored 11 goals and that was responsible for a huge portion of Sunderland's points hole last season. Yeah. And to have lost those players, and I actually think the team's got better. It might have well, lost that little bit of stardust, but I think the general structure of the team's improved. And I know we're frustrated about the strikers that they haven't got a goal, but I actually I can see the promise in these players, yeah. and I'm really excited that we're less dependent on loan players this season, and that we've actually got some assets that you can grow over time. Um, so I feel really positive about the general direction of the team. I think it's really refreshing when you follow a team to see that it's getting stronger, and that certain areas are being addressed over time. Um, so yeah, I feel really positive about it. But in the context of this actual season. I think there have been a couple of probably a couple of missed opportunities and also it's not all about Sunderland, it's about the other teams as well. And I do think mm. some of the teams in this division this year are seriously strong. And that's kind of, you know, I I think it's going to be difficult for Sunderland to compete higher. But, you know, sixteen games in, if you said to us on the eve of the season, the team would be looking good, they'd be in sixth position. Um Six points, you would, six points better off at this than this yeah. stage last season. Well, there you go. That's that that sums it up. You would have snapped the hand off for it. So I'm going for a very, very good seven and a half. Some frustrations along the way, but yeah, pretty exciting times. Absolutely. Well, 35 minutes there, a nicely length podcast. Um, we'll probably bring it to an end. Phil, thank you for joining us. I hope you um, achieve your goals with Accrington Stanley on Football Manager 2024. We are not sponsored by Football Manager 2024. I haven't received any sort of um, any royalties but if somebody does want to get in touch yeah we will be more. very interested in that one so <laughs> anyone's listening yeah yeah absolutely right cheers phil thank you to the listener for listening once again we are all over everything sunderland at the sunderland echo website thank you for listening <laughs>